Welcome everyone to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today my guest is Dr. Maya Shetri, and we're going to be talking all about quantum drops. So please stay to the end. Dr. Maya has created a beautiful line of vibrational medicine, and she shares her journey and more knowledge around what's becoming popular these days around plant medicine and master plants and microdosing and how to make that accessible to more people. I think this is really cutting edge science in the realm of neuroplasticity and blending neuroplasticity and quantum physics and vibrational energy. So I really hope you enjoy the podcast. Real quick, a little bit more about Dr. Sheetreet. Dr. Maya Sheetreet is an adult and pediatric neurologist who believes we can inhabit more than one identity. She's spoken around the world and been featured in the New York Times, NPR, and Dr. Oz. And she also listens and talks to plants every day. She's a mystic and an ancient astrologer who is grounded in mitochondria, the microbiome, and mycelial science. She's an herbalist, artist, ceremonialist, urban farmer, and forager. She is the author of two books, The Master Plan Experience, The Science, Safety, and Sacred Ceremony of Psychedelics, and The Dirt Cure, which has been translated into 10 language. Dr. Mai is an expert in many things and also always endeavors to remain a beginner. Dr. Maya created Quantum Drops, also known as Ceremony in a Bottle, both as a vibrational psychedelic master plant product that is legal, safe, and deeply transformative. She's the founder of the Terrain Institute, where she offers free ceremonies, microdosing coaching, and a portal for training for those who want to become psychedelic informed professionals. I know you won't be disappointed in the wealth of knowledge we share today in today's podcast. Enjoy. Welcome everyone to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Schaffner, and I am so thrilled to introduce a dear friend and colleague, Dr. Maya Sheetreet, and we're going to be talking all about her inspiration behind quantum drops. So welcome, Dr. Maya. It's always an honor to be in your presence and connect with you and just learn from you and share the space. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's always so important to connect with our soul family all around the world. And you are definitely one of those. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So let's set the stage. So I want to just briefly introduce you to my audience in in case people haven't heard other conversations we've had together. You know, you've been very conventionally East Coast trained, and here you are talking about quantum physics, plant medicine, you have a new book, you have remedies, a whole kind of new way of looking at life from when you were probably in medical school. So just bring us up to speed kind of your journey and kind of what your perspective is at this time as far as health and healing. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's funny. I mean, I'll try to keep it as short as I can. Obviously, it is a twisty turny journey as many of us have, but I didn't go into medicine thinking I was going to do conventional medicine, I actually went into medicine because I watched a Bill Moyer special when I was in college called Healing and the Mind. I mean, this wasn't the whole reason, but it was definitely what really instigated me. And Mm -hmm. they were healing, uh, working with this young girl who had lupus, and she was responding badly to her medication. It was helping her lupus, but she was in kidney failure. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't know what to do. And they ended up giving her castor oil every time she took her meds and then stopped giving her her meds. And then she responded by just getting castor oil 
on the schedule of her meds, her body responded as if she was getting medication, but with no kidney failure. Mm -hmm. And they said, this is psychoneuroimmunology and it's a new field in medicine. Mm -hmm. And I thought, great, I am going to become a psychoneuroimmunologist. Mm -hmm. I love this. And I wrote an essay about it and got accepted to medical school. I was an English major, so I guess it was a good essay. And um, <laughs> and uh, and I went to med school and I ended up going through med school. I started having kids and, you know, doing the whole training, which is a real, it is a kind of brainwashing mm-hmm. to go through, especially conventional medical education. I always say the most programmed people are the most highly educated. And that is important because what I do now is deprogramming. Mm-hmm. So um, I have quote unquote, right? Reprogramming maybe. So yeah, I, I studied neurology, uh, pediatric neurology, actually, and adult neurology and got boarded in pediatrics and neurology. And then there was no psychoneuroimmunology that was really like yeah. accessible to me as an MD. I was like, wait a minute, where did that training go? And I kind of reawoke to it because my son got sick. So my youngest son got sick and, you know, turned out he was very allergic to soy. He had had a mold exposure as well. So that kind of instigated my first book, The Dirt Cure. Mm-hmm. And then after he was better, uh, seven years later, we finally realized that there was mold in our apartment. We left for five months. They gutted the whole bathroom and whole area. There was any mold at all. We got rid of everything holstered. It was like cleaned with toothbrushes, like the whole thing, moved back in. Two weeks later, he had a seizure in the room that was the epicenter of the mold. A first-time seizure. There was no mold in that room. It had been gutted to the studs. I was like holding him in my arms. Uh, here I am, right? The pediatric neurologist that was doing integrative medicine. No other person probably in the world was doing at that time, you know, what I was doing with herbalism, with my body, with all these different things. And I just knew with all of my body that this was an energetic, spiritual mm-hmm or soul problem. I was like, this is not anything I know how to heal or how to help. I need to find teachers. I ended up going to study with a fourth generation shaman who was also a PhD in ethnobotany. She did a healing on him. And then ultimately I ended up studying with her in Ecuador Mm -hmm. on that trip. Wow. I had no idea that plant medicines were going to be a part of it. They did not say a word about it. I went to this country, Ecuador. I'd never been. I didn't speak the language. I didn't know anybody that was part of this trip where she was going to be doing this training. Um, I knew we'd be studying the the plants, but I didn't know we would ingest anything. And Mm -hmm. there I had a very profound experience after a not very profound experience. I had a very profound experience uh, with the San Pedro cactus that really changed my entire life. And um, I've never actually drank the San Pedro cactus again, because I feel over 10 years later, I'm still unpacking that experience and it's still being made manifest. So that's, that's the short story. (laughs) You know, beautiful story. And, you know, again, I remember being really inspired by psychoneuroimmunology. Candace Pruitt's book when I was younger, I read The Molecules of Emotion. And as you realize, these were like ahead of conventional training time, but they obviously inspired you to keep moving and keep, you know, going on this direction. And 
that that concept of it is even expanded, right? And adding the spirit and the soul and our ancestry and, you know, everything in between, right? You know, that is, you know, downstream um, affects our biology, right? And who we are. And so that's a really big passion of mine too, to just unpack like how to look at this, how to understand it. And then of course, you know, I sit in the seat like you trying to help people and, you know, how to give people a framework and tools and uh, resources so they can really heal on the deep level that we all came to earth to heal. You know, I, I believe that. So that brings us to this idea, right, that I want to just kind of dive right into of cellular memory, right? And cellular memory, there's many kind of lenses to look at it, but this idea of our history, our personal story gets remembered in our body and in our cells. And um, I'd love to hear your perspective on uh, cellular memory and childhood trauma and how this is a big piece of the puzzle. Yes. So I think we're finally in a time where we're willing in the medical world to entertain the concept of trauma as an instigator of illness. And um, thank God, <laughs> because it's really pivotal, we've discovered. And, you know, I think most of us in our training or in just colloquial conversation think, oh, I had a trauma happen to me. Most people don't realize trauma is not what happens to you per se. It's how it embeds in you. Mm -hmm. So two people who grow up in the same family might have similar experiences and their perception, what they walk away with could be very, very, very different. Mm -hmm. One person might be unscathed. The other person might be absolutely bowled over. It has to do with your cellular memory, your perception, your mm -hmm. gates of perception, your sensitivity and other things. We can talk about yep. sensory gating also, but mm -hmm. once the experience embeds in you, it expresses in your cells. And so I'll just pause for a second and say one of the things I believe about cells, and I think this is well supported, in fact, is that cells are sentient. They're intelligent beings. They are just like, you know, a school of fish or a flock of birds or a swarm of bees have more power when they are part of a community and and travel as a community. Mm -hmm. So too, are we these universes yeah. of cells, microbes, minerals, water, right? All of this, and we can talk more and more about that because it's so profound, but really just to know that we're a community, we're a universe mm -hmm. and that cooperates hopefully together. Mm -hmm. So the first thing to know is that cells have characteristics and perceive things and express things just like we do, right? We think we do. And um, so the cell, when something happens, and it could be a physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, communal kind of instigator of, of various kinds, the cell understands all of those languages, but the language it speaks is typically physical, mm -hmm. right? It's like a kind of physical slash mental. The way, so in other words, like a cell that is very unhappy um, or has experienced this sense of unsafety will mm -hmm. then change configuration and mm -hmm. change function to express a cell danger stance, right? Mm -hmm. It goes mm -hmm. into a protection mode saying, mm -hmm. I'm in danger. I'm going to need to do protection. 
And what that looks like literally on a mitochondrial level is that, you know, when mitochondria are not in cell danger, when they're in this kind of optimal functioning mode, they are like branch spaghetti and they kind of touch each other. They exchange nutrients, they exchange information, they release waste and so on. When they're in cell danger mode, in protection mode, they turn into meatball structures mm. where they're like they are in a quarantine type situation, right? We have some context for that. Nobody's touching, nobody's mm. communicating, nobody's exchanging anything, right? It's just like this. And the problem is they're not getting what they need as much as they need, and they're not releasing what they don't need. Um, mm. Everything is in a different level of function that is not optimal mm. because mm. it's about protection. And that's meant to be temporary. But what happens is when we have had a trauma that embeds, it actually can become chronic. Mm -hmm. And that is when we start to have chronic physical and mental and emotional and spiritual, right? But it, yeah. what we talk about the most in our very physical oriented society is, you know, our physical illness in our bodies. And that can express on and on and on until we learn how to interrupt that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's um, such a good reminder of the cell danger response and, you know, the physiological changes we can measure. And, you know, as you're thinking, I'm also tuning into, you know, how, you know, ancestral trauma can affect us epigenetically, right? And we can have, you know, just a different protein translation, you know, based on, you know, traumas that we go through or that we've even, you know, inherited, you know, as, you know, studies have shared with the the Holocaust, even survivors, we, we've seen that, right? And Dr. Maya, we, you know, talked offline a little bit, you know, where we, you know, intersect in many things, but our love for quantum physics. And so do you have a quantum physics lens of kind of what's happening with the cell or what's happening with the body even and like a trauma state, like thinking about like um, light or the water or just, you know, anything, you know, want to share. There's, there's such a vast body of work that's still emerging around this, this topic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a lot of different ways we could talk about it. And I think we're still even in the very early phases yeah. of being yeah. able to language it. But I mean, there's a lot of ways we could talk about these fascial networks that are super highways of, you know, electromagnetic communication between cells and between cells and microbes. Um, you know, and the extracellular space as well, which is now considered possibly an organ, right? Mm -hmm. That's really beautiful, pretty recent work, you know, and we know that when the cells are in a danger mode, that they change in structure, right? And they change in communication. And so we know that that those communication superhighways of fascia and of extracellular space are totally change, right? In the in the state of, of danger, of protection versus growth. The yeah. other thing though, that I think is super interesting, and this can maybe segue us also into plant medicines and master plants is actually, you know, and this is an indigenous perspective. You know, we think we know everything now. Oh, quantum physics is this new concept, et cetera. You know, I did so much deep dive research, even after studying with indigenous communities for over a decade, I, I went into real indigenous science and discovered that, you know, this idea now that DNAs are, the DNA is a fractal antenna, you know, mm -hmm. for kind of electromagnetic, you know, transmission mm -hmm. is, is actually something that was explored 
and has been explored by indigenous people in South America and around the world since millennia. They didn't talk about it as DNA. They talked about it in in the form of serpent myths. Mm. And so there is this whole beautiful research. If you look in every culture, almost every culture, including cultures that don't have serpents, right? I mean, talking the Arctic, et cetera, there are these cosmic serpents or rainbow serpents or twin serpents or tree of life is another way that it's talked mm-hmm. about, right? These chains that look, if you go and look at indigenous art, Aboriginal art, Siberian art, South American art, you can see chromosomes, you can see DNA. Mm-hmm. And they essentially felt that during visions, whether with plant medicine or not with plant medicine, they were in communication with DNA. Mm-hmm. and. Now we're learning about biophotons being emitted mm-hmm. by what we used to call junk DNA because we're so arrogant, right? We're like, oh, this is encoding, therefore it's obviously junk. It's like, okay, yeah, you know, same like the appendix. We're like, oh, this must be uh, extraneous, right? But of course it is not. None of this is. So it's actually being looked at now that the visions that people have. And we can mm-hmm. talk about whether those are real or not real, because I think that's a very important element of this as well, um, are actually emitting from our DNA by mm-hmm. way of these biophotons. And this is what shamans, ayahuasqueros, and others have been actually perceiving as they discover what they need to discover uh, through their visions with plant medicine. An interesting little side point to that is that, you know, of course, Crick of Watson and Crick, I think there's some controversy about exactly what happened there and, you know, a woman not getting credit, but he actually was, came to know the structure of DNA to the extent that he discovered it using LSD. Hmm. And there are many such stories of other scientists who have had you know, also the inventor of PCR was actually using LSD when he said, oh, I was sitting on molecules and saw the DNA and the proteins. And that was what instigated me to recognize how to invent PCR. So there is a very interesting story going on here of how do we know what we know? Mm -hmm. And is quantum science, quantum physics, quantum biology, you know, quantum physiology, uh, is it something really new or is it just mm-hmm. what we've always known, but a new way to come to it? Yeah, no, I, I love what you're saying. I have a, you know, similar model I've built after in my own mind, after learning and studying as well. And it feels like, you know, it's just ancient philosophy being remembered, you know, and there's probably like a remembering in every time, right, of this truth, right? So truth shows up it maybe has a different lens for the society we're in or the times we're in. And, you know, we're in this time, you know, right. That I don't know how we got there, but you know, where everything has to be evidence-based and, you know, it's just so dense and, you know, very like doesn't leave a lot of room, but it's a time to remember that the more that we allow space for us to connect to a greater energy um a greater field you know i i i like talking about it like the quantum field even though there's probably even more to that story 
we can access, right? This whole other informational network that, again, I always think, you know, the electromagnetic spectrum, we only see that much of it, right? (laughs) So it's like, there's so much more going on. And, you know, let's talk about the plants because that is, as you mentioned, that can be a, a resource or an ally to these experiences and opening us up to those greater informational networks that are always around us. We just maybe not tune into them. Absolutely. So, you know, from the standpoint of just DNA and emitting these biophotons and perceiving these biophotons, you know, the idea is that different aspects of the plants vibrationally, we could talk about it molecularly, we can talk about it neurophysiologically, We have a lot of languages to talk about it, and I'm sure we will only have more and more, you know, but from that DNA perspective, it is actually a way of activating the fractal antenna of the DNA. Mm. So that is one just very beautiful, simple way of recognizing, you know, that we can receive and have access to many relational kinds of consciousness, right? You're talking about the quantum field, we can talk about something more cosmic, we can talk about, right, I mean, there's a reason that indigenous people honor, let's say, their ancestors, right? Mm -hmm. That is a fundamental part, you know, I want to actually just bring in this idea Mm -hmm. of, because to me, the science of master plants of of sacred plant medicine is is indigenous science, first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if, if you are in good health, Okay. First of all, health has to do with physical health is downstream mm-hmm. in indigenous understanding from spiritual health. Mm-hmm. And spiritual health is not maybe what we might think of it. It's not religious or anything like that. It's about being in right relationship, right relationship with yourself, with each other, with the land, with the mm-hmm. ancestors, with the invisible. That mm-hmm. is what health is all about. And mm-hmm. ancestors, now we understand epigenetics, right? And mm-hmm. how epigenetics can muddy that fractal antenna that is our DNA or, or not, right? I mean, depending on what's happened in our ancestry and also how we interact with our ancestry and with our own bodies. Um, so there's that. But in terms also of how do we perceive what's right in front of us? And so, you know, what my book did and took me on this journey, I always say, like, I thought this was going to be a little tiny kind of handbook that goes along with my course on, you know, psychedelics and master plants. And it turned into an 85,000 word book, which is, I think, a pretty easy read, but it's definitely, it was a dark night of the soul journey into the underworld kind of, you know, um, as everything with master plants can be, you know, so one of the things I really sat with was the nature of reality, right? What are we seeing? What's real and what's not? Because we talk about myth, right? I learned writing this book that myth is actually in indigenous culture, right? Extra literate cultures, I call them, is actually oral tradition that contains ethics, health, biology, geography, like legal history. I mean, everything you need to know to survive is embedded in myth. What we hear usually is the story, the uninitiated version. Mm -hmm. As you become more and more initiated, it's like everything you need to know to survive you know, where to hunt for the, right? Like how to find in the midst of acres and acres, thousands of acres, you know, where the animals will be, you know, the whole thing, the whole thing. So myth, myth we think is a story, is kind of a pretend story. Turns out, no, myth is powerful. Visions 
we call them hallucinations and they're like fake, right? But actually almost all of our pharmaceuticals, Mm -hmm. you know, I say we estimate about 70, 80% of pharmaceuticals we use in the OR, pain meds, on and on. You know, the, the things everyone are using in Western medicine right now are 70 to 80% of those were derived from indigenous communities by bioprospectors that came from pharmaceutical companies. They learned from indigenous people. And how did indigenous people know this? Because if you go to the jungle, I don't know if you've been to the jungle. I have been to the jungle and it is the Amazon. I mean, we're talking 100, 200,000 more different plants that are some impressive, some unremarkable, but they are you know, to figure out which one does this and how to prepare it and so on. That's not a trial and error type deal, especially when we understand that like two plants might need to be mixed together in a very specific way and then applied in a very, right? So, so this isn't trial and error type stuff. And if you ask the indigenous people, how did you know to do these very complex combinations? They say the plants told us in visions. Now, nobody accepted that, right? None of the anthropologists, the bioprospectors and so on, they were like, oh, these crazy people, that's not true. But they were very happy to take the information and then develop all these pharmaceuticals by synthetically, you know, kind of imitating the molecules and so on. So, you know, it really taught me this idea of what's reality and what is our perception of reality. Mm -hmm. And so what plant medicine is doing is in interacting with our sensory gating. Mm. Sensory gating is literally our cells job of our cells window of perception. Mm-hmm. And this window of perception is physiologic and it's also esoteric, right? What, yeah. How do we see the world around us? And um, we are conditioned through our education, through our society, through our families to have a very tamped down window of perception but they vary, right? And there's ways to measure this, by the way. We do it through, um, there's testing in hospitals that look at different kinds of auditory sensory gating, visual sensory gating. It's used to diagnose MS, schizophrenia, other kinds of conditions. Mm -hmm. So this isn't like some woo-woo idea. This is very granular, scientific, and technological way of, of evaluating. But ultimately, people who have wider sensory gating are usually diagnosed with pathology in our society. So ADHD, autism, um, sensory integration disorder, you know, schizophrenia at you know maybe the wider end, different kinds of you know what we would call mental illness. Uh, also gifted people, also like musicians. Yeah. So you know, if you're someone who plays the violin, you're going to have much more open auditory sensory gain. If you're someone with perfect pitch who plays the violin even more so, right? So these -hmm. are things we can actually play with. Like if you hear someone say your name across a crowded room, Mm -hmm. your sensory gating, your auditory sensory gating is going to open up because you Mm -hmm. are like, wait a minute, you know, I just heard my name. So Mm -hmm. part of what plant medicines help people do is actually modulate both to open more or to close more when appropriate sensory gating. And so they can have a clearer perception of mm. what's happening. Because just because we tamp down our sensory gating, our windows of perception, it doesn't mean there's not this beautiful orchestra playing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I love that perspective of 
where we can look from like, okay, this is happening from the conventional lens to look at these things, but also, you know, the indigenous lens as well. And, you know, I, I see that too with, you know, every now and then my patients will have like a neuropsychiatric diagnosis, right? Mm -hmm. On top of kind of like the terrain work that we do. And, you know, these tend to be the most sensitive, perceptive, you know, like I muscle test. So I just think of a handful of these wonderful people who, you know, I'll put a vial even like in front, like in their field, and they can already like articulate everything that that medicine is going to do for them, you know, and it's, it's, I just, I love testing those people because it's such a partnership, but I get to have this whole like other perspective of like what the medicine actually does. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's a really beautiful experience, but I understand how it can be really hard to navigate mm -hmm. like the real world with that, you know, openness, right? And then they have to either learn how to navigate that or they get heavily medicated or, you know, there's, there's not a lot of, um, I, I don't think we do that the most compassionate way yet in our society. You know, we try to fit people into society rather than allow these people to fully express and create and probably bring in a lot of innovation into our world that we we're just not there yet you know so yeah. well and that's a decision I agree with you I mean I think you know I think neurodivergence assumes that there's some kind of mainstream yeah. way of being right yeah. if neuroatypical means there's a typical but what typical really is is a kind of obedience mm -hmm. um, and conditioning that mm -hmm. many of us have had. I mean, I'm not erasing, obviously there are differences, right? And there are mm -hmm. some that definitely, you know, diverge in significant ways. And yet in a lot of societies, and this is something I explore in my book, those people would be trained because of their special yeah. gifts to yeah. help be healers in some way mm -hmm. to the community because they were considered to be actually gifted. Not the other way around. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to see that shift happen, you know, in my lifetime. You know, we'll um, we'll see. But there's at least more of a conversation that I think would be happening for these um, these people. Dr. Maya, I want to go back to the plants, and some people are maybe grouping in their mind when we talk about them, like grouping psychedelics with this plant medicine that we're talking about, and you differentiate between like the master plants and, you know, psychedelics and maybe just walk us through the difference there. Sure. Yeah. So master plants are an indigenous term and I don't speak for indigenous people who are obviously very diverse group. Many, many opinions. I'm, I'm just um, sharing a common way of looking at a particular kind of plant, plants that shift human consciousness and behavior in significant ways. Master plants, they include not just psychedelic plants. Coffee is a mm -hmm. master plant, for example. Cacao, right? So our chocolate, master plant. Um, tobacco is a master plant. So these plants, I mean, you think about what people will do for their coffee every day or their, or their chocolate, right? It has changed human behavior. It's changed yeah. human consciousness for sure. Uh, any psychedelic is always a master. Any psychedelic plant is always a master. And so some of those would be ayahuasca, the psilo uh, psilocybe mushrooms, like magic mushrooms, right? The amanita mushroom, the little red toadstool with the white dots on it, the 
uh, San Pedro cactus, peyote, all of these, many, many more. And I talk about them in more depth in my book. Mm -hmm. Those are, are called master plants. And why are they called master plants? It's because they are considered masters. They're teachers. They're transmitters of ancient knowledge. Mm -hmm. And they give us information that we need in order to operate better as human beings. Mm -hmm. So while not all master plants are psychedelic, all psychedelics are considered to be masters. And mm -hmm. that is why there is a way in which we are expected to come with reverence, with humility, with mm -hmm. gratitude to these masters. A lot of indigenous people will not say these are all good, right? Like right now with this sort of psychedelic renaissance that's happening, you know, there's this sort of very, oh, these are good. These are healing. And of course they can be absolutely life-saving. Mm -hmm. That is unequivocally true for the people for whom it is life-saving. It is. And, and we have many, many, many studies for the whole spectrum, major depression, OCD, we're looking now at autoimmunity, drug addiction, sexual trauma, other kinds of trauma. I mean, just, it's, it's very impressive what we see. Although every study I should add is always done with support before, during, and after. Mm -hmm. So this is never just like some person in their garden. You know, <laughs> It doesn't mean that can't be helpful, but that is not what the studies are looking at. So just understanding there is a, a huge healing potential on the one hand. Um, but when indigenous people talk about master plants, they will say they're neither good nor bad. They're powerful. Hmm. And our job is to learn how to interact with power. Hmm. And that's where we find the healing relationship. Can we come with the humility? Can we come with the reverence, the respect and not be greedy, not commoditize them. Understand that, you know, we have to offer something in return as well. It's a relationship. Ooh, I love that, you know, nuance, right? Of, you know, and that transmission of, you know, you know, we think about in like botanical medicine, we get really like constituent focus and it's because of this, you know, constituent, it does that, but there's this whole other like, vibrational information that these carry right to work on as you said all these quantum communication networks right in our in our body and around us <laughs> um so tell us about dr maya about quantum drops so how has your kind of knowledge and your experience led to this creation so I think most people, when they think about psychedelics, they think of these macro dosing, you know, tripping or journeys, et cetera. And that's a lot of what's been studied for various kinds of reasons, mainly because it's so effective to do in a clinical setting, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody comes, they stay there for five hours, whatever, get checked at the end and leave, right? But mm -hmm. um, there are other ways, it turns out, to interact and still have the neuroplasticity and the shifting of cellular memory and the working with the sensory gating that can actually be much more gentle mm -hmm. and um, still potent. So mm -hmm. microdosing is something a lot of people have started doing. And, you know, it's been all over the news and Silicon Valley and 
you know, and I actually think microdosing is going to be, I think that's the way that psychedelics are going to end up having the biggest impact on our society, most Mm -hmm. likely in the more mainstream environment. So I ended up coming to quantum dosing in an interesting way. I grow master plants. I have an over 10-year-old ayahuasca vine. I grow many San Pedro cacti, grow Brugmansia, I grow tobacco. I grow a lot of master plants and I don't consume them. I, I tend them. That's my, my service, right? That's part of my reciprocal relationship. And they teach me hmm. through growing them. So to me, that's a form of quantum dosing, just for example. Yeah. And, and one day as I was tending them, this was many years ago, I got this very strong message. And the message was, Why do people think they need to ingest us in order to experience our medicine? Show them another way. So I was floored, (laughs) to say the least. Here I am. I'm this neurologist. And yes, of course, I knew about flower essences. I knew about homeopathy. I mean, I obviously understood, Mm -hmm. but I knew this was something different. And Mm -hmm. I thought about it. I played with it. I kept coming back to it over years, really. Mm -hmm. And, um, And then I finally started to work with it using the music of the plants using the medicine songs that I had and, you know, altars, crystals, which are used and have long been used by ayahuasqueros. And with the plants together, we created this formula, which then became what we call ceremony in a bottle. And it is a quantum dose of the master plants. And right now we have the grandmother, which is made with, but not from the ayahuasca plant, my ayahuasca plant. Uh, San Pedro, the grandfather, and Mm. the children, which is the mushrooms. So the precedent for this is actually very interesting. Anyone who's been to an ayahuasca ceremony knows that there are these songs that are sung during these ceremonies. They're called ikaros. And the ikaros are not songs that come from the maestro, from the person who's running the ceremony. He had to spend time training with the ayahuasca plant and the ayahuasca plant actually trans is is transmitting vibrational medicine that Mm. becomes sound Mm. and so many ayahuasqueros will say the ikaros are equal in potency to drinking the medicine Mm -hmm. they'll in fact some ceremonies they won't even give the attendees a drink of ayahuasca they themselves might drink a little ayahuasca and then they will sing their ikaros and Mm. The people will have experiences and have healings because mm. they are getting this potent vibrational transmission that is medicine from the plant. Mm. So I understood from that that indigenous people have understood for a very, very, very long time mm. that there are a lot of ways to interact with the medicine of these plants. And quantum drops have become a way of engaging with that medicine, cultivating the intimacy, experiencing the shift, the neuroplasticity and the healing. And we've had so many incredible testimonials as we've rolled them out. Now, you know, we have people all over the world that Aww. are engaging with the quantum drops now. Oh, that that is such a great story of the creation of them. And that makes a lot of sense to me, just that they can be even as potent that we, my world, there's, you know, sometimes we'll take um, the different pieces of equipment that will take the vibration of a mm-hmm. medicine and just give the vibration of the medicine rather than the medicine itself. And it can be as impactful. And we know 
we know that in clinical practice and observing, and then just obviously with the beauty of the tradition and, you know, the passing down of all these pieces of ceremony, right? And so now, I, I mean, I'm, I'm so excited that you created this because it feels like a just a, a greater way to get this medicine out. There's a lot of, you know, loopholes, right? So if people are in a certain state or, you know, um, they want to have a certain experience and depending where they live or who they're interacting with. So this feels like a very like safe and, you know, um, approachable way to start interacting with the plants. It definitely, in my mind, as I worked with formulating it after we did the initial, you know, ceremony, I wanted to make sure that this would be something safe for any person. Because Mm -hmm. I, as I know you, have treated some of the real canaries, right? The people who can hear the bee sneeze three miles away. And I've treated children for many, many years, Mm -hmm. especially very chronically ill children. So I wanted something that was safe for sober people. No alcohol is in it. It's uh, structured water from a spring and um, a little bit of a vegetable-based glycol just to make sure it's preserved appropriately. And then there are like some light and laser and prisms we use to support it. They play the medicine songs while it's being bottled. Um, So we have a permanent altar in the facility, but basically this is safe for people who are sober, who are pregnant, who are children, who are medically fragile, who have mental health history, or who just are sensitive. And I will say I am a very sensitive person. I have had big experiences in the past, and now it's been very clear to me. I mean, I kind of live in a psychedelic reality, right? My sensory gating has always been pretty open. And, um, you know, and for people, by the way, who have nervous system dysregulation or other physiologic dysregulation, sometimes a nudge is the most potent medicine rather than something that's so strong that it can be re-traumatizing, right? And I think we need to start honoring people's individual physiology, nervous systems, and spiritual beingness, if I can say that, Mm -hmm. because we all need different things and at different times. So, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, this is a very sweet and yet potent way to affect change where change Mm -hmm. may need to happen. Um, Or just to kind of see, I have a really funny story from a one of my students who's also uh, an author and, you know, she's actually very well known. And she sent me an email and said, I bought the quantum drops, but what are they going to do? Like, is it going to affect me? Is it, I said, you're not going to trip. It's nothing like that. I said, you know, let's just say you'll have more epiphanies and synchronicities. And she wrote back, well, I already have a ton of those. So we'll see. You know, and I said, great, let me know. Three days later, and I, le- I could show it on my phone, but I won't. She yeah. wrote back, this stuff really works. That's the subject. <laughs> and then in it, she says, it's almost too much, exclamation point, exclamation point. Oh. So, you know, people have these experiences that, you know, can really, really reshape and transform their health, their mental health, and, and their lives, their ability and their capacity to engage with the world. Um, you know, being a human is not 
easy. It's not an easy thing. And having the help of the master plants is a wonderful way to have this ancient wisdom to help us be guided through. Why I like quantum drops is because it's sustainable, it's respectful, Mm. and it's gentle. Mm. I'm really, really excited to use these in my practice. And I I haven't tried them yet, but I um, definitely am going to. And no, I, I can see how this is just like a just beautiful addition to whatever work people are doing, right? You know, like it feels like it plays well with, you know, okay, if people are on really like, you know, hey, they're chronically ill, they're on a big protocol, they have medicine they're taking, you know, it still plays well to the people who are just really curious and want to take the first step, you know, into this, you know, world. So I'm, I'm super excited. And I, um, I just kind of think just knowing you over the years, like, of course, you know, this, um, is your like next, you know, creation and your next step. And, you know, it's, yeah, just a beautiful gift, you know, to the, the world right now. And I'd love for people to know how people can buy them or how they can interact with you and what you're up to. So yeah, people can learn more about the medicine. Yeah, absolutely. Going to my website, just drmaya.com is the best way to find my book. I mean, it's also on Amazon and um, the quantum drops can be found also at my website, also at quantumdrops.com. I know you're going to have some links and so people can follow those. And, um, and yeah, I mean, we just want this to be in the hands of people who, who need it. Oh, well, thank you for all your incredible insight and your time. And it's always so great to connect with you. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I hope you found this information insightful and transformative. And please check out all the information in the show notes on how to connect with Dr. Maya and her quantum drops. I hope you've been enjoying these podcasts. They fulfill my heart and my spirit. I always learn so much that I can bring back to the treatment room, and I hope they inspire you wherever you are on your healing journey. Have a beautiful day.